0: Expanded Thinking is a new podcast produced by Talking Words. I'm your host, Walter Mason, and in this special eight-part series of conversations with writers, creators, and spiritual practitioners, I'll be introducing you to some remarkable guests whose powerful ideas and extraordinary stories will inspire you to live a more fulfilling and more expansive life. Today I have a very special guest. I'm sitting down with Delia Vulcaner, novelist, non-fiction writer and esteemed teacher of creative writing. Delia is a senior lecturer in creative writing at the University of Technology Sydney and is a celebrated author of Sydney, a personal history of her hometown. She is the winner of the Cal Waverley Library Award for Literature and has been shortlisted for other major national prizes. Her latest book, utterly compelling signs and wonders has been one of the most beautiful literary responses to the COVID era. Today on the show, we're going to talk about how we can do better for the rest of the year, birds and why we love beautiful things. Delia, your fascinating book, Signs and Wonders, is what has brought you in today. But of course, your whole body of work is what makes me so fascinated by you. And this is the most beautiful and most difficult to describe collection. It's, um, uh, I've, I've written down here, memoir, current events, psychogeography, diary writing, and much, much more, photography even. And it's been one of my favourite releases in recent years. It really has. And in it, there are many cries of frustration at the world and, the, uh, and at the way we're leaving the world. Well, but ultimately, I found it inspiring. I really felt that way about it. And I know that readers who haven't read it yet will as well. You reflected very profoundly on many of the ills facing our modern society, so say i 've just just put it down i 've just finished reading signs and wonders from cover to cover, and i 've asked myself, "How do I do better for the world for the rest of the year? How do you answer
1: i think the the message in this book, if there is one, is that Um, We have been in a very stable world for a long time. We're starting to see that lovely 12,000-year-old Holocene cycle in which humans have flourished and developed and and grown uh, starting to wobble. Um, You know, you can name your disaster, floods, fires and so on. Uh, And I think that um, my message is that we need to be thinking urgently about these matters. Um, I think that as... As humans, we've become used to thinking of the Earth's changes as gradual ones, um, a, and that's uh, that's something that goes all the way back to to Darwin and um, the fact that he won the he actually won the the debate between the people who thought that the world was something that ch- moved in sudden and quick pulses, and he um, in particular argued with a person called Huxley about the fact that um, that the world uh, that um, e- and he felt that ev- Darwin felt that evolution was a slow process, but it's I think we're starting to see um, a great unravelling. And so my answer would be that we have to be really, uh, really agitating, really uh, talking to our politicians, um, really urging quick solutions, rapid decarbonisation, rapid agreements on the the fastest possible um, decarbonisation we can manage, um, the most rapid um, enactment of protection for for threatened species, for ecological territory um, because um, the, the, we, things can really change on a dime as the megafires and so on showed us. So that is my, my, my uh, feeling um, in, in answer to your question is that we should be moving quickly.
0: So, so rush out there and and do the things that you feel passionately about. You know yes. about about making the change that you want to see made.
1: That's right. Yeah. And um, don't don't leave things aside. Don't sort of feel there's <laughs> there's time to act. If you have the urge to write to a politician, or you have the urge to, um, you know, to whether it's sign petitions or work for land Landcare, um, protest about the destruction of the habitat of, 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 a, of a creature that's near you do it now is mm. my would be my message yeah
0: good message good message mm. Delia one of the things I never thought I'd be bringing up in a podcast with anybody um, and yet it's mm. it's so so beautifully and vividly written about in your book is coal <laughs> tell us about coal
1: well um, I have an essay in this book called um, coal and unnatural history and I became fascinated by coal because um, uh, the essay came out of um, being at Parliament House in Canberra with my kids. And if anyone's ever done that trip with their kids, you are given a little kids' passport um, to the to Parliament House, the new Parliament House, and the kids are asked to look for this figure called Sean the Prawn in the um, in the Carboniferous um, granitello Nero um, of that tremendously marbled foyer and so the Sean the Prawn isn't actually a prawn spoiler he's a <laughs> he or she they um, is a piece of um, uh, of early early carboniferous coral but here's this little little um, remnant from 250 million years ago which is the same date as some um, as as coal um, and so I became fascinated with the the fact that uh, coal's significant in Australia's history before Australia is even um, is even colonised. So, so, and I feel that that and and it's been such a we've been so coal dependent. Um, um, you know, from the moment that you know Cook. Captain Cook trained on a um, trained in the Whitby um, in 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 the coal uh, carriers. He came to Australia, uh, made all his all his voyages actually in the Endeavour in a, a it was a repurposed Whitby Cat, which is a coal carrier. So there was this kind of coal mindedness that came to Australia before we were you know before be, even before colonisation. So this is kind of and 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 you know I thought I thought well how weird is that? How weird is that? Is it that we have this? This coal, dependence, and and coal is, um, coal is the um, is the remnants of um, carboni- carboniferous era mostly carboniferous era, um, forests in the sh- in shallow seas, and what ha- happened to make coal was that each layer in coal is 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 this is the mark of sea rise, <laughs> and so when I said that the you know the the, you know that that we need to think about Think, get out of gradualist ways of thinking and, and think about the earth in uh, more urgent ways. We've been through sea rise before and, and, and a number of times and so one of the things that I found very fascinating about coal was that each um, each striation in coal is the marker of the um, big glaciers at the end of the earth at that stage um, melting and then, then they would freeze again um, and the, the seas would recede. And so when you hold a piece of coal in your hand, and you are holding deep time um, but we have become so used to it being an ordinary thing, you know, this thing that the, the country um, and the world revolves around in terms of of burning fossil fuels and yet what I wanted to do in this essay which talks about, which kind of spirals out from, from Sean the Prawn um, to lots of stories of, of coal about how um, you know, thieves used to carry it for good luck <laughs> uh, how um, women used to put it under their, their pillows, how um how how um, uh, you know what a, what a really truly strange thing it is that it's storing all that energy from those um, from from those carboniferous era. Swamplands and forests, um, and to sort of make strange that um, you know that that moment when um, you know Scott Morrison came into Parliament and was carrying a you know the lump of coal that had been lacquered by the um, <laughs> by the uh, I think it was the min- mineral industries um, of Australia and held it in Parliament and said this is coal, don't be afraid. Whereas uh, my essay is saying this is coal, um, be very afraid. <laughs>
0: And they come up in Signs and Wonders. There's a lovely section on birds. Mm. Uh, you write, And you write about feeding kookaburras with your mother mm. in um, a very moving passage uh, uh, and during a difficult time in your life mm. too. Mm. Can you tell us how, how birds have inspired your creative life?
1: Oh, um, I've always felt I have a, a weird kinship with birds to the extent that um, I was reading this essay out um, in Darwin a few days ago, I was there for the Writers Festival, and the stage was outdoors. And I started to read this essay about uh, feeding the birds with my mum, and um, you know about all the different birds, the honey eaters and the butcher birds that that used to come into my into my mum's yard, and um, uh, and was the thing that my mum and I always shared when I went to her house and as I started to read, um, it seemed like every bird in Darwin started to wheel and to call out and little brush turkeys that ran across the ground and it was the most it was the most magical thing and I, I felt almost, you know, I had this mad moment almost as if, you know, the the writing had sort of summoned them up. Uh, and it was uh yeah, it was one of those those um those moments that are just uh Perfect and and uncanny, but you know I always feel that um that i have a uh, well i've had, i have a deep fascination with birds, but i've always felt that you know I have some sort of weird you know kinship with them as well yeah. i suppose, and so in that essay, i really Tried to think about what it is about birds that is that I find so so moving, and 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 so many people do. I mean, you know, the the Romans used to, um, you know, believe that um, an eagle would carry the spirit of the um, the dead Roman emperor aloft. Um, the Irish believed that puffins were the spirits returned of, of priests, um, and so on. And you know, I s- sort of really. Start, start to you know. I, I began to think in this essay that maybe our feeling of birds goes beyond you know even the deep symbolic value that you know deep symbolic sort of uh, ways that we see them in terms of regrowth, renewal, and growth with their their eggs and um, their ability to fly, um, which are some of the reasons that that folklorists and and um, um, you know psychiatrists and so on have have um, <laughs> felt that um, that that. Why, why we love birds, but I thought maybe we actually uh, birds are so much older in their current form than than we are. And so when the when the uh, Chicxulub crater hit the earth uh, millions of years ago, um, you know birds were already very much in their sort of you know they were flying dinosaurs, but they were very close to their current form, and they. You know, they they survived and we survived, but we survived as little tiny shrew like creatures, <laughs> not probably nocturnal cre- sh- um, shrew like creatures. And I kind of wonder if that little shrew like part of ourselves recognizes birds as these agents from um, these agents of of deep time that are much much older, much more ancient than than we are. So I think that, yeah. <laughs> um, so so, you know, I I. I think I'm not alone in feeling that birds, um, you know, there's something uncanny and, uh, you know, deeply, deeply spiritual mm. about birds. Mm.
0: How fascinating. I love this idea that the, the shrew in us is, at some <laughs> level, a little bit afraid of us. Yes. And, and one encounters people who are quite yes. afraid of birds. Yes, yes. Yeah and i 've always been fascinated by that phobia because mm. I, I I kept budgies when I was a kid, mm. so mm. Mm. <laughs> Yes, so did terrifying. I actually. <laughs> uh, I do love them. So the book is about about the environmental crisis um, and about a whole lot of things that attach themselves to that and about about existing in the world right now it 's very up to the minute. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, you describe how thinking about global warming. To quote you, brings its own vertigo. Mm-hmm. How do we stay hopeful in the face of so much bad news about our futures?
1: Mm. Um, you know, when I speak about the vertico I'm thinking about the fact that we've got to think about deep time, both forwards and backwards. So mm. we have to think about uh, the, the the fact that we are we've already changed the the world. Least modern industrial economies have already changed the world's temperature by about 1.1 degrees of warming, and we're already seeing the you know the profound un- unraveling that we're experiencing at, at the moment, where things are just sort of out of whack. Um, and you know, we're on a track for about 2.9 at the moment. I think. Um, Um, by centuries end, um, or worse, depending on which scenario you look at. And then, of course, we're looking at uh, the fact that how we're changing in our environment is um, through um, burning fossil fuels that are, you know, um, at least, you know, 250 million years old. So we've been haunted by deep time and Mm. haunted by starting to think about um, deep, um, ecological and geological change, because of course the, the Anthropocene, as many people are calling this this moment that we're in, is, it's it's almost been, been fully ratified, um, a moment in which we as humans have become a geological force. I mean, how profound is that? Uh, so I don't know if I, I don't know if, I, I think that, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not optimistic. I'm hopeful in the sense that I think that you know that's an active. It's an active. It's an active thing to be hopeful and to 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 try to you know to try to to do what you can. But you know, I, I for me, it's a kind. It's a form of sort of John Keats's negative <laughs> capability that you've got to hold the you know two sort of you know two sort of opposite ideas in your head at the one time, and the one is this, um, you know, the fact that things really are. Um, uh, you know, we're really seeing profound. And terrifying things already, um, particularly the megafires uh, that um, afflicted Australia and have been afflicting other countries in the world, which are, um, you know, many fires that join together that you know um, create their own weather, <laughs> um, and you've got to hold that idea in your in your head at the same time as um, really um, putting a floor on that despair um, to think about trying to trying to do whatever it is that that you can to try to hold on to um you know try to appreciate the beauty of the of the world as it is flawed flawed as it is and unstable as it is um but to also um try to write to think forward um and to think about how we could you know hopefully uh, you know sort of try to turn things we can't turn things fully around at the moment, and unfortunately, that's a that's a fact. But how could we um, try to at least slow slow things down? Um, because otherwise, to, to give in to despair is to you know to, to unleash all those um, yes. all those terrifying forces. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. yeah well said. Mm. I love what you just said about how it is an active thing to be mm-hmm. hopeful. Mm. and that's a, that's at the heart of it isn't mm. it we have to be we have to remain active in our mm. in our quest for a better world mm. um, so so in terms of in terms of action um, what do you think is the very best things that people could do mm. like a, like is it is it is it protest is it um, is it uh, simple personal action like mm. reducing our our mm. impact on on the on the environment
1: Yes, look, it's a really that's a really hard question, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, you know I think there are many better political um, and scientific minds that have that have um, you know uh, looked at that that question uh, better than I have. But um, yes, of course, we should do everything we can in our own lives to try to limit. Travel by plane to, um, you know, to try to be mindful about um, our own activities and the impact that they have on the world. But I think really, um, you know, the, the the big polluters are, um, you know, our businesses. Uh, you know, our nations, are um, uh, the military around the world's one of the, the uh, one of the biggest polluters. So really, um, you know, we're at a point where we I think we have to be yes, protesting. Um, you know, I really ad- I really admire the people who are, you know, actively protesting. I was interviewed in uh, um, in Bel- at Bellingen Writers Festival by a by a wonderful young uh, young woman who had um, you know locked herself onto a coal lo- loader. And uh you know sort of had to be um lo- you know and, and disrupted um, the Newcastle ports um, coal imports for 10 days uh I think that sort of action is a support if you're not going to be locked onto a coal loader support the you know support the people who are doing it because again I think that um putting putting money resources um any sort of support that we can into um you know into uh serious um, Political action um, and seriously also um, investing in better, you know, asking our governments to invest in um, in renewables, but also investing in companies that are going to, are doing that sort of work um, and actively, um, you know, and actively um, acting as you know whether we're shareholders or whether we're you know um, um, letter writers in um in those those sort of activities but really also um you know be trying to and that's that's and I don't know that I always do that so well myself but um really educating ourselves more about who those polluters are because those directors and those you know those those companies um, are owned by people with names and you know um and I think that that concentrating on um, those bigger organisations and putting the pressure on them is also really important.
0: Well, it's a fantastic action list right there. Yes, yes. That's terrific. Thank you, Delia. I know people will be uh, jotting down those those suggestions with with great interest. Um, Delia Falconer, you write beautifully in Science and Wonders about your love for trees, Mm. especially Australian trees, and they are beautiful things. Tell me, why do we love beautiful things like trees?
1: Um, Why do we love beautiful things? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I can only say why, I I think I can only say maybe why I love trees. Let's start there. Um, Look, I I think that, um, I think trees are fascinating because, you know, we we often sort of take them for granted and yet they are, you know they're 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 all around us, and they have their own mysterious life. Um, and one of the things I write about in my book is that, um, uh, which I, which which appeals to me greatly, is that. In, in Japan, um, you will often be walking. Um, you'll be walking up to a to a shrine, for example, or in a Japanese Zen garden, and you will see a um, an ap- a paper apron around the um, around the the trunks of of bigger older trees, and that's because they are considered to be the home for kami or the or the nature spirits. Um, and I certainly, you know, I'm not a religious person, but if I was going to be religious, I think you know Shinto, the animist. <laughs> sort of um uh, uh, religion appeals to me bo- most that i think that um trees you know we're so oft- we talk about them so much in you know sort of biological terms or even worse in economic terms in terms of sustainability and 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 so on and uh um, in terms of the things they can they can give us and yet they have a a, a presence that is um uh, that i think is often quite um, that one one can can feel very strongly, and that one, uh, and and you speak to many people. Many people will say that they have a favourite tree, uh, a tree they have a particular sort of relationship with. Um, I used to have a, <laughs> um, I've got a list I could reel off a list of, of favourite trees for you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, um, and I like to kind of visit them. Uh, I like to visit. There's a there's a three hundred year old, um, at least three hundred year old river red gum down in Rushcutters Bay Park in Sydney, and you think what that tree. Has seen as well is is um, quite something. Uh, but the the tree I'm thinking of um, in particular, um, which I had sort of an uneasy relationship wa- with, was some. Um, there was one in uh, in Katumba um, at the edge of a park when you used to come up from. Um, the, the three sisters and take a kind of a shortcut and I would walk past this enormous gum tree and every single time I would walk past it, I would be about, you know, sort of 20 steps ahead of it and I would feel that someone was watching me. There was, I would turn around, there was no one there, there was just the tree. And so um, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of us when pushed would admit that we have <laughs> these sort of uh, um, personal relationships with, with particular trees um, and in my book I write about two gum trees. I couldn't tell you what sort of gum tree they were, unfortunately, um, uh, but they they that were in the block behind the um, the apartments that um, that I that we were living in uh, in Elizabeth Bay, and um, I would watch those trees every night. My my neighbours would wrap fairy lights up them at <laughs> at, uh, at at Christmas. We would have and we would go down and have have drinks at the base of those trees. Um, they were there behind my children every night when they were eating in their their high chairs and. In that um, in that uh, that story, I write about you know getting the notice because they actually belonged to the next door flats, about the fact that they were their roots were making their way down into the roof of the um, the garage next door, being Sydney and being weird higgledy piggledy sort of sort of place, um, and that they had to go, um, and that feeling of of um, loss of that companionship of those two trees um, where I used to you know used to watch the little possum um, one of the the neighborhood possums sort of sit down in the moonlight at the base of those trees and they would cast their shadows on the wall of my my study um, like um, the poet let Poet Martin Harrison used to talk about them as being like fishing nets, the 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 light of the the shifting light, uh, the shifting shadow of the gum trees, um, and that's that sense of um, bereftness that that one feels um, um, from these sort of silent companions is quite. Um, is really quite quite something when they go, and again, yeah. I think I'm not the only person that would uh, <laughs> would feel that. So I've explored, I've I've tried to explore that through through that particular essay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so many of us have had uh, really profound relationships with with different mm-hmm. trees in our life, and uh, even even with the Trees of Legend as well. It's always mm. something there. Um, my dear friend Maggie Maggie Hamilton, who is, is in this same series of podcasts with you, she always talks about Edith Blyton's The Magic Faraway Tree mm. as a shamanic text, mm. <laughs> you know, which is, which is so perfect, I think. Now, you've written a book which is which is legendary and, and beloved about Sydney. Uh, Thank you. It's, uh, it's sort of a... It's it's, it's it's the town that you grow up in, and, and you wrote this book about it, which was reissued a few years ago. And there's a very famous passage in it where you write about walking through the city and being absolutely in love with the light and the stones and, and, and the buildings of the place. And yet this love brings with it a certain frustration and even revulsion sometimes. Sydney is a beautiful thing, um, a beautiful place. Why do you feel, why do you think we, ha- we create really deep connections to places like this, to cities, to towns, as well as to the natural landscapes?
1: Yeah, look, I can only, I, I could probably really only speak to my own, own connection to, uh, to Sydney um, and think through that, but, um, you know, there's a... There's a, a sort of branch of writing called psychogeography, which looks at the um, at the ways that we walk through and connect to um, to, to towns and and create our own um, um, sort of webs of meaning around them. I guess, um, but. My Sydney, as you say, I have a sort of love and hate relationship <laughs> with my city at times, which I think is actually the sign that you are uh, truly part of a place and, <laughs> and truly do love it. Um, it has to, you know, you have to be able to be enraged by it and disappointed by it as well, like a like a person, I think, as well as um, as well as love it. Um, for me, uh, what I love about Sydney is. Its moodiness. So each of the chapters that I wrote in that book is based around a um, a gerundive verb: um, sweating, showing off. I thought was a particularly <laughs> Sydney chapter, um, uh, and and so so it's a city. I think of great contrasts. It's a city that has the most. Um, I think is is particularly interpenetrated by nature, um, and so you and it, it's it's a tidal city, uh, so again that's part of its moodiness, a very shifting um, a shifting city, uh, and because it still has that connection, that very strong connection to nature with you know with um, co- you know cockatoos flying through the centre of Wollamalu, <laughs> you know sort of screeching at everyone, uh, their larrikin voices. I mean, how how wonderful is that? Um, it still has, I think. Very often, um, it has a sort of a bush light. I think that you know it's still haunted by the the light of the bush, even where there even where there isn't bush. Um, and so, I guess we become very um, uh, attuned to the rhythms and the um, you know in the microclimates and the the the. Um, the motions of the cities um, that we are used to spending a lot of time in yeah, so our, our our bodies and our our spirits become so attuned to to living in a particular place that um it that, that 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 is we i think that we you know the the places we don't just change the places we live in those those cities that we really love all those places that we live in really change us and so i when i wrote my book sydney i thought look there are things that you know, always going to be changing about my city at a superficial level, whether that is, um, you know, perhaps we're becoming <laughs> sort of nicer uh, as a city and and um, uh, perhaps our f- pleasures are becoming a bit less sort of raucous and, and ferocious mm-hmm. than they used to be, um, you know, our traffic, our, you know, the number of apartments and, and the sprouting out of the ground, all those things will, will change about the city. But I thought there are things that will remain permanent and... Um, at the core of the, the 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 at the heart of Sydney, and that is knowing that those big southerly winds will come through uh, that uh, hum- uh, you know in the late afternoons to break a heat wave. That uh, the the harbour will always have that fabulous umami smell, which comes in part from the humid the humid air, uh, which are the things that I love so deeply about my city. Uh, and and they are they are the continuing things, but then when the when we experienced those terrible fires um in the monster fire season of two thousand and nine summer of two thousand and nineteen to twenty uh the, for me I think the you know the great shock along with seeing the whole eastern seaboard of my country uh burning was that those southerlies didn't come, and that and that the the air was dry and gritty. Um, and it didn't sm- – my city didn't smell the same way. The air wasn't – you know, those those blue skies that I've – glassy blue skies that I've always taken for granted um, also weren't there. So it was a real wake-up call, I think, in terms of <laughs> bringing me again to, um, you know, to writing this the, – the latest book um, is that, that sense that, you know, things can – turn on a dime and that was a real instance of the the way that you know as we start to to hit environmental tipping points um think you know one one thing can cascade onto the next and um the the face of the earth can the, the face of the planet can and the, and the faces of the places that we know and care for so deeply can can shift in a in a you know in a, in a mere almost a mere matter of minutes yeah mm. yeah mm.
0: yes yes well, uh. Good warning. Um, one of the the features of Signs and Wonders is your your reflections on walking, mm. and um, I know that walking is something that many of the listeners love doing uh, in nature, but also through city streets as well. Uh, but sh- and you, during the lockdown, you've you found yourself relying on walking as a sort of a psychological boost. Mm. But you reject, don't you, the, the title of flaneur? Yes. <laughs> tell us, tell us about your walking.
1: Um, well, fle- flaneurs were um, always people, you know, traditionally in, in sort of the fantasy sort of end of nineteenth century French um, writing, were the people who would walk out in the crowds, and yet they would, you know, yet they would hold themselves um, aloof and sort of above those crowds. And uh, walking, particularly during COVID. Uh, the COVID lockdown period was, for me, much closer to a pilgrimage. I think, um, but you know, a pilgrimage around the old, old, you know, my, my sort of my own personal, <laughs> familiar um, f- footpads and beats um, that you know I've always sort of walked with to kind of try and reconnect with with my city. Um, so yes, I'm a I'm a I'm a mad mad walker, um, and I think there is something. So intimate um, uh, and so comforting in the act of walking, but also in the act of um, walking through those those familiar places. So, my walks that I write about in this book were um, walking from Elizabeth Bay around Wollamaloo Bay um, and around the Botanic Gardens, or around you know the the empty city, um, or particularly my my favourite walk in Sydney, which is up from uh Rushcutters Bay and up up to McKill Point in um um in the the end of Darling Point and back along that sort of escarpment where again the Sydney the 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 patina of building um and the edifices that we've we've put upon it are so um are so thin that you can still really feel that um that 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 the old bush there um particularly well and so when it's in summer you smell a a kind of a almost tea leaf smell from the leaf matter underfoot sort of burning slightly in the sun and you feel thermals still tiny thermals still coming off the top of that that escarpment and so yes I I, um, walked to you know to, to kind of hold myself together and to hold my senses as time just started to slip off in all sorts of weird directions with With uh, in the COVID period, I walked to kind of you know almost hold time together because you know I was uh, it was was the it was a mad sort of feeling because I you know I grew up in Sydney in the sort of late 60s and and early 70s in in McMahon's Point in a city that was very small, had you know the parks were uh, in terms of people, the parks were often quite sort of empty especially being a kid in the inner city when kids didn't live really in the inner city then and you know there was so little traffic on the on the roads uh, and you know my my parents used to you know take me into the botanical gardens and and so on and and there I was taking my kids to these same places as if I was taking them back in time back to my own childhood um, into a you know, into this quiet, sort of muted city. And so I think there was something about that, that need to then get out and walk myself and sort of pace the you know, one's body is that's I think pilgrimage is, is sort of about that as well, is about the putting the 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 using one's body as a as a measurement, um, uh, as a sort of familiar measure, while thinking about sort of enormous, you know, in, in, enormous and and sort of profound things. So, you know, of course, I've walked a lot in the uh, in the process of, of writing my new book as well. To um, again, I think um, sort of keep that sort of human scale of 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 th- of. of, of keep a human scale to my thought but also to hold myself, you know, sort of hold myself together and and feel the um, and sort of pace out my, my sort of small little piece of territory in uh, in Sydney.
0: I love the photographs in the COVID Walking Diary section of Science and Wonders. Uh, it was unexpected and, and quite a delight because, you know, you normally don't pick up this kind of book and, and find photographs in them. So... I wanted to ask you about this 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 impulse you had during your walks to photograph things as well, and and the human impulse to try to to capture moments of beauty.
1: So glad you mentioned the photos because no one does, and I'm <laughs> quite proud of them. I really, I think they're beautiful. <laughs> I, love the, I love putting them together.
0: Oh, I love them. Um,
1: they they, they, they I've put them together using a, a, a an app. Um, to create um, square black and white photos, I just seem to think in squares a bit more easily than in the oblong <laughs> sort of photo format. Yeah, uh, and I would just uh, take them as I, you know, as I felt it. I didn't sort of and 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 so those photos come out of a spontaneous feeling of wanting to capture the quality of light or the um um or a particular sort of feeling. So they, they're, so they're photographs of feelings or moods rather than um you know specific sites uh and i really felt um i sort of in this in the book, in the book in the essay on the that surrounds the photographs i really felt like what i was doing with taking those photographs wasn't dissimilar to what i would do as a novelist or storyteller which is um you know we talk so much about story and narrative but actually i think that writing fiction um uh is often also a matter of kind of capturing a particular quality of light or a particular um, uh, slant or or, or, or um, quality to the to the air, and so that's what I'm I'm um, trying to do in those those photographs. So it's not really about capturing beauty. I think it's capturing uh, um, quiddity, uh, <laughs> capturing the sort of the um, the feeling of, of of time and the. And, and now and and disappearing and slippery things so, so I, I didn't set out to make them pretty i set out to to capture um the the feel of of the deserted city um but the that deserted city had a very very strong sort of presence all of its own uh, and i wanted to le- let that breathe into those photographs if, if that makes any sense
0: it does it yeah. doesn't and, and i'm so glad that you, that you did it and that you you decided to sort of to include them in there because it it it, it, well, cha- it changes the essay into something quite different. Yeah, I really loved it, Delia, There's one last question that we ask all mm-hmm. of our guests, and um, and that's what's one thing our listeners can all start doing today to live a more expansive life.
1: Life, because it's amazing how those little details can um, can can ex- can expand and um, uh, and once you've spent a little bit of time noticing them, like John Ruskin suggested that we, you know, sort of note things down in... Um, he suggested that people sketch or note things down. Um, it's extraordinary how that little time of noticing makes them stay with you.
0: Julia Falconer, where can people find you?
1: Uh, well, I have an author webpage online and I also... Tweet as Dr, uh, as Delia Faulkner and I have an Instagram account as Dr Delia.
0: You've given us so much to think about and you've given us some great practical advice as well and I know that listeners will love it. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Expanded Thinking. Delia's books can be purchased via the links in the show notes. Next week I'll be talking to acclaimed writer Nigel Featherston. About where creative expression springs from, the necessity of solitude, and how nature can feed our art. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and, even better, leave us a stellar review.
1: Expanded Thinking Podcast is hosted by Walter Mason and produced by Talking Words. The podcast is recorded on Gadigal land. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging.